0: And welcome to the Fast Break Podcast. This is Amon Kidwai. I am joined by Patrick Martin and Dan Madigan. This podcast is a production of the Fast Break Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe or tell your friends. We've got a great week of UConn men's basketball to talk about. The Huskies were named number one Uh, in the AP and coaches' polls to begin the week. They followed it up by beating the heck out of Creighton at Gamble Pavilion And then a tougher than expected road game at Villanova where the Huskies scraped away with a close win, 66-65, thanks to a three-pointer at the end, a meaningless Villanova three-pointer at the end. Good for them uh, for making that game look closer than it was at the end there. Uh, The Huskies, of course, hold on to their number one ranking. They are now off until Sunday when they host Xavier. Madigan, you were at the Creighton game. Uh, you were at the Nova game also. Uh, but but let's talk about the Creighton game first. Uh, what did you think after the Huskies not just took care of business but really won that one with authority?
1: Yeah, I thought the atmosphere first off for that game was really incredible. Um, I thought that was probably the best Gamble crowd that I've seen in a long time. Um, I know a lot of people that I was with at the game said that that was probably the loudest they've heard Gamble uh, – in a very long time as well. So um really good crowd, really good student turnout. You know, it's first game back for the spring semester, two dollar Miller Light night. I don't think they even made it to tip off from what I understand. I, I saw people walking around. They were doing like a I believe it was like two for, you know, they were you can only get two at a time. Um, but I saw everyone walking around with with two in their hands pretty much at all times. So um they were moving a lot of Miller light for sure. And it definitely uh, affected the crowd just like it did the Providence game last year. Like it sounds gimmicky. It sounds stupid, but uh, it really does work. And I think the team really fed off of it. Uh, They kind of just got off to a hot start and really never looked back. Um, Was not really impressed with how Creighton played. I feel like especially McDermott uh, has really had Hurley's number for the past few years. Um, As coach circles around Hurley at times, like especially early on when Hurley was here and, uh, UConn basically had none of it, um, and just came out and Tristan Newton started strong. It was kind of good to see him look like his old self after, you know, a four or five game stretch where he, you know, maybe wasn't at the peak of his powers. Um, and the loudest salvation of the night was probably when Donovan Klingon came back in, uh, which was good to see. And he didn't play a ton of minutes. I know we're going to get into his return and the impact later, but, uh, he played 16 minutes and he looked really great. And, him and Samson Johnson, who I don't want to discredit it at all, uh, did a really good job, pretty much negating Kulk Brenner. Um, he had a decent line; he had eleven points, eight rebounds, but he was never really a factor. Like I think he had five or seven points that came in garbage time um, when UConn was pushing it to, I believe they are pushing it to almost over twenty at one point or around there. And uh, Blue Jays made a late run at the end, but it wasn't even as close as a fourteen-point deficit would indicate. Uh, it was really strong performance from UConn and. Um, they carried that over into into Saturday night. I think Villanova just played really well, um, but all in all, it was a really strong week for the Huskies.
2: You never want, and you saw Hurley talk about this, you never want to be named number one, especially for the first time in 15 years, and then immediately fucked that up, dropping a game at home. Um, so between, it was like a trifecta of vibes coming into form, some like, Unbeatable vibe scenario because you're just ranked number one. So you, you know, Hurley is coaching you up before that game of like you cannot have an energy letdown. The two dollar Miller lights, as you just shouted out, Klingon coming back for the first time. It had every single positive vibe you can think of, um, and I don't think we'll see like the defense ratcheted up like that. Like we'll see it again. Um, I mean, holding Creighton to 48 points in the year 2024 is obscene. And this is not a Creighton team that like, you know, is overrated or like they don't suck. They then proceeded on Saturday to go toe to toe with Seton Hall in a triple overtime thriller at Seton Hall. Um, They have a Ken Palma 15, 13 offense, 33 defense. I think UConn just had like another gear and they have a habit when they're clicking to make like really, really good teams, sweet 16 level teams look kind of mediocre and vulnerable
0: yeah I mean I I do not think Creighton is is a bad team this was a it was an assertion of dominance by by UConn and specifically around the reminder to the world that this can still be an elite defensive team I think the way things were shaking out earlier in the season was um, that UConn offensively was looking a lot stronger it had just a little bit more going on, maybe a little bit more uh, guys experienced and mature on that side of the ball. And of course, when Klingon's not there full time, you're you're hampered a little bit on that front. So a really tremendous showing defensively, as you mentioned, on Kalkbrenner, Klingon and Samson Johnson doing a good job there. And then on the perimeter defense as well. They really shut down all of Creighton's other uh, perimeter scores as well. Outside of garbage time, final score sixty two forty eight. It was it was not even that close of a game, and uh, their their perimeter players, the ones who got into double digits, they got it in in garbage time really. So, Steph Castle stepped up in a big way defensively there. I think that's a piece that uh, you know he's bringing to the table in a big way, especially in Big East play. And you know, as it relates to that number one ranking, yeah, they they really did look boosted by it. I think. They maybe underplayed it going into it when it was a possibility, like going into the Georgetown game after beating Georgetown. But I, I do get the sense that they are motivated by it. Dan Hurley said some, you know, I, I mean, it's typical for him, but you know, he said, we got to look at this, like we're holding a heavyweight belt and like, they have to pry it out of our cold, dead, lifeless hands. And he said it twice. And, and, you know, he just like looks straight forward, like, you know, uh, serious as anything and that's just normal
2: that, that's normal conversation with, it with is Cameron normal really. com- you know
0: he's he probably says that about his uh cereal in the morning that someone would have to pry that from his uh, cold dead lifeless hands if they try and take a bite but you know I, I i really do think they were motivated by that i i'm impressed that they did i had concerns of a of a potential letdown in that creighton game and nothing of the sort uh so i think that part is just what was really impressive there you have to give it to them uh and yeah i mean creighton you know like that is the other top competition right now for the for the top of the big east i'd be interested to hear your guys thoughts and if you think creighton is more of a threat than marquette it looks like right now
1: yeah i just feel like marquette doesn't really have their act together right now and i feel like you know, it's a long season. It's still January. Um, there's a lot of games to be played before everyone goes to Madison square garden and um, you know, they roll the ball out there and it's tournament time. But um, yeah, like you said, Creighton's a good team. They have a lot of experience, um, a, a deep roster, Shireman, Trae Alexander, Kulk Brenner. That's as good of like a big three for lack of a better term as you're going to find in the conference. And I think everything that you said kind of came together. I think, Creighton maybe didn't have their best game and they started off flat and they never really were able to kind of get back on over their skis and, and kind of figure it out. Um, UConn, like you said, clean came back first game back for the students, $2 Miller light night, number one in the country. Uh, this is like, this was the monkey that they couldn't get off their back for so long was even when things were going well in the big East, they were losing to Creighton and sometimes losing pretty convincingly. Like it, it was not even close. So, um, I think there's just a lot of factors that went into it. And I just keep coming back to to UConn's defense when I think about this game, like holding them to .77 points per possession uh, for a Creighton team that shoots like almost 40% from three. Um, just, Just super impressive. And I think it just showed that this is not like, this UConn team is super, super legit. Like, I don't know if anyone had any doubts, but I feel like there was... When they were selected number one, there was maybe a little chatter. Oh, you know, they haven't really played any super elite competition in the past like week or two. Uh, they had that loss to Seton Hall. Um, it looks like Seton Hall's really good now. So it looks like they're, you know, a, a borderline top 25 team. I'm not really worried about that loss for Seton Hall without their best player. Um, but, you know, I think it just goes to show that UConn is really establishing themselves as the top of the Big East. Um, Creighton, uh, Creighton kind of hanging around there. Marquette is faltering. Uh, Seton Hall is rising. And and uh, other than that loss to the Friars. But overall, it's put together a really strong Big E's resume. So um, I, I'm just super impressed with this UConn team so far.
2: I think – well, I mean, think about if there was a Providence podcast last year running around in January talking about contenders, would they include UConn? In like oh how like are like how are they gonna be a factor here in March? Absolutely not. you know they they, they were awful. they look terrible. It's January. you know, a lot can change. Um, you know, adjustments can be made. If you look at a team that is talented enough and shows glimpses, you have to assume that they will click and figure it out at some point when it matters. Uh, in that sense, I'm in, absolutely not prepared to declare Marquette Roadkill at all. Uh if we want to do roadkill versus possum, they are hundred percent a possum to me, not only for the fact that they are incredibly talented and, and have shown glimpses all year, but the way they match up stylistically with Yukon, with uh Isu Ogodaro, I think is is the type of person who can give you uh Klingon and, and uh Samson Johnson fits because of his flexibility and his positional kind of switchiness. And we'll get into that with like the Villanova game. Creighton, we just talked about how you have to give them some respect. Seton Hall, Kadari Richmond, God, just please graduate already. Um, and then I think when, and then so that's four teams that are, I think, viable contenders in the garden in March. Beyond that, I'm not ready to say anyone else unless they turn it around. But again, you know, as we saw last year, that can happen to anybody. And I'll also just remind people that like, UConn was picked third in the preseason polls and they only had 72 first place votes. So, you know, a, a lot can happen in the next two months.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll say for my, you know, like Marquette take, I'm I'm heavily influenced by the rant we saw from uh, Mark, Mark Titus, Club Trillion. Did you guys see that? He just, he just kind of like did a diss track on Marquette. He was like, Marquette, you're addicted to missing threes your coach is crazy. Your your defense isn't good enough. Like just, you know, he just went off on that. And I was like, Oh, those are all very damning things for a basketball team, hoping to be, uh, you know, like uh, do a deep run in March. But
2: as much as I do respect that, like I-, I will never once like take them for granted because I think that's the type of thing. The second you think that they're done, they're going to come right back and punch you in the face. I really am enjoying the lack of Tyler Kolick chatter it was getting to be like a a fever pitch earlier in the year. Like Tyler Kolick is like the best point guard in the NBA, you know, in the, in the league, in the country. He's going to get NBA looks now. No God for the love of God. He's not even the best point guard in the conference. Steven Ashworth has looked better in, in, in recent games. Um, he's maybe the fifth or fourth best point guard in, in the big East. Yeah. So it's right. I'm enjoying them coming back down to Earth, but at the same time looking at them with one eye and monitoring them because they are still going to be dangerous.
0: Yeah, we're we're done with Tyler Kolek. We're done. We're done promoting him. He's a he's really like a Drew Timmy uh kind of guy in that people just seem to be rooting for him for no specific reason.
2: Well, no, but he's like he's like an obnoxious Drew Timmy that is like jawing back at fans. Like Drew Timmy's a yeah, nice yes. guy. I almost like feel bad, be- you know, when Adama Sinogo just put belt to ass, I, like, felt bad. It's like, oh, poor Drew Timmy. Like, that. what a shitty way to, to go out. Like, he had a good run in the West Coast and then just gets absolutely um, blindsided by UConn. Tyler Colick is, like, active. He, he's, like, a guy from Duke that, like, actively likes being the shithousery villain. Um, So to see that, you know, the regression to the mean there, for you know, very talented, a very good player, but he's not some transient. You know, transcendent talent here he, in the college.
0: He, he also has that, um, like middle finger pick with the two trophies. The two right. Like, what are we doing
2: here?
1: It's... That's not his fault. I feel like that's that's on Marquette. But no, I was looking no, at his that is one
2: hundred percent his fault. He could have said like, "No, I really don't want no. to." I don't want to throw double freedom birds like on a picture. Like, have some sense and know that like that's going to be used at you every single time. Like, you could be acting silly and goofy, but don't be throwing up middle fingers. Like, come on, like that's. That's just
0: so that's class.
2: silly. Yeah. Come on. This is we love to say that. There's kids watching here.
1: His top comp on Kempom is uh Aaroncraft. And I feel like that's just incredibly on brand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Craft was solid. Yeah. That, that is fine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Tyler Cox, he's a good player.
2: But Aaroncraft also wasn't an asshole. Like as
0: far that's, as know, that's my as biggest far issue
2: with it. Uh but yeah, anyway, I'm glad to see Titus uh dunked on Marquette because it is fun to dunk on Marquette. And I hope we continue to get to do that. Yeah,
0: we, We'll we see, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's going to be interesting. UConn doesn't see Marquette for a while, uh, not until February 17th when they host them. And then they'll make the uh, return visit in March, uh, which obviously I think they will still be big games. I'm not trying to say like, you know, uh, that Marquette is some, like, you know, one of the top disappointments of the season. I do think, I do think um, you know, it's one of those like maybe continuity isn't as amazing as you always think it is, uh well, kind of situations.
2: I, I do think they are a top disappointment. They were a preseason top five or six team. Um, and they've racked up what three or four losses right now. But the the other caveat is that Sean Jones uh injury does suck and you know he looked like a really, you know, important weapon for them off the bench with his speed. Uh, but like there, we'll get into market later, but it's like, yeah, it's quite simply like when you preseason project people based off of like, oh, this person's going to be better because he has another year. That's always, that's not necessarily always true. Like the Cam Jones and the, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name now, but their other uh, guard, they just kind of have stayed to be like good players and, and that's not their fault i think everyone was anointing them as like oh they're gonna take a step and be really really good joplin is what i'm thinking of um like yeah they just didn't take the step so yeah marquette's a good team but they're not some you know world beating behemoth
0: yeah everyone can't be UConn and just getting like big leaps from everyone year over year the way UConn has with alex caravan Hassan diara samson johnson or uh stuff like that it- Takes a different kind of different kind of formula uh to to make that happen to talk about the villanova game i mean i think uh madigan you brought up a good point earlier about creighton kind of like vibes wise being a game that uconn might lose like just you know coming into it a team that had team that had done well against them they'd won a lot in a row they had a little bit of extra hype and and maybe maybe weren't we're not always in the earlier years ready to meet the moment but they did, you know, and passed with flying colors. I really thought the Villanova game was another type of game that they would have lost, uh, you know, two or so years ago. Um, and I I think for UConn to have the kinds of runs that it did, obviously is incredible. To start off on an 11-0 run in someone else's house, uh, you know, like in a packed NBA arena, that's incredible. That's that's just an unbelievable, you know, uh. That's a that's a that's a throat slashing. That's a heart a heart stealing, soul snatching. Uh, you know, we saw Xavier do it to UConn last year, but UConn did it to Villanova here, then had a 13-0 run in the second half. Uh, and then the game really became like tied with five minutes left, with four minutes left. Uh, and then UConn just made enough plays to win and got their free throws out, handled the press. Uh, so I just thought it was super impressive the way they kept their composure even though Villanova was shooting like over 50% in the second half and still found a way to win that game against a very motivated team. I thought they handled the road crowd uh, really maturely. I actually even thought Dan Hurley handled the road crowd and situation really maturely. Uh, I didn't see him like going crazy when Villanova was like making its runs. I don't, I don't even think he called – very many timeouts to kind of stop them. I think he was, you know, like they got this, they're, they're doing it. Um, obviously being able to have Klingon in there uh, mm-hmm. makes a big difference. It helps. He once again, for the second game in a row, led them in plus minus. He was plus nine in the Creighton game. Uh, he was an absurd, uh, you know, plus nine in just his first two minutes and 36 seconds. He finished the game there. Uh, he finished the Villanova game plus six, uh, which is also a team high. Obviously, you know, you could see such a huge impact by him defensively. But my real takeaway from Villanova was just that they they won a battle, you know, like they won an absolute battle against a very, uh, against a team that seems quite strong to me. Uh, and, and, and they, you know, did not, did not have a letdown after a big win. So just again, like you said, in case it was not clear, this is a, this is a very elite team.
1: Villanova just played really well, and the the I was around a lot of Villanova fans while I was there, and they just kind of felt like this was not their Super Bowl, but you could tell, like, it seems like the game meant a lot more to Villanova fans than it did to UConn fans, and I think Villanova came out and kind of played that way, honestly, but um, UConn was just in total control. Um, I was super impressed by it. I think, I know Donovan Klingon will probably be returning to the starting lineup, but... Um, when Klingon was coming in and going up against that poor backup center on Villanova. I mean, I, I could have told you that he led the team in plus minus just, just by looking at it with my own two eyes. It was Lance not Ware. even a fair fight. It, yeah. Lance, against Lance Ware, it it just was not a fair fight. Um, it was, it was crazy. And I think Hurley sniffed that out and was basically waiting for Dixon to come out of the game to put Klingon in for stretches, even though it may have made more sense to try and let Klingon bang with, with Dixon with more of those guys down low uh, when it got close, but the disparity in talent was just so, so massive there. And um, I think that's what kind of kept it close and and kept UConn kind of firmly in control because even when that second unit for UConn was there, Klingon was just kind of single-handedly dominating the game. Like I know it's weird to say about a guy that only played 24 minutes and had six points and seven rebounds, but, I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot more. He just changes the whole, like all the math that happens uh, on both sides of the ball when he's on the floor. And we knew that we've talked about that. We've written about that, but with him being gone now, and then with him coming back and playing limited minutes, like he did last year, it's so, so obvious. And it's just really incredible. And it's, you know, I talked about this and we had, when UConn had Steph Castle come off the bench, but like. It's not always going to be this way, but it's just such an insane luxury when you're bringing out, you know, a top fifteen, top twenty potential NBA draft pick like off the bench to play twenty minutes against guys that are going to be, you know, working at State Farm and in, in twenty, you know, in five, ten years or whatever. So, um, yeah, it just it wasn't always pretty, but um, just a really gutsy win, and it just I know it was a one point game. There was that three pointer from Villanova that that may have impacted some people that had. Uh, UConn minus three and a half, um, uh, just based on what I've heard out there. But, uh, you know, it was, UConn was firmly in the driver's seat the entire time. And I think that's what matters.
0: That's,
2: that's crazy to me. Maybe it was the copious amounts of pops I had had all day, but that game felt super tense to me. Like that was a FIFA lean forward. I've got to got to really focus here type of game to me. Um, and I think because, and I, and, and I, you know, I heard you guys talking like, oh yeah, like, you know, Villanova got close and they led a couple of times. I was, I was scared shitless that they were going to throw that game away, uh, not for the way UConn was playing, but more I think just because of, I think the pressure you talked about the two kill shots that they had of like, if, and I, I know Evan Maya has a tweet out there that says like any team that gets two kill shots during a game is like 97% chance to win or something like that, because you assume okay, 20 points right there. And I'm looking, I'm thinking of that stat and I'm seeing like they're only up three. Like it's at it's it's big east refs, like Klingon's still a little rusty. Like, I did not feel comfortable about that about that game. And maybe it was because of the way Villanova guarded, um, you know, switching one through four. They I mean, they have like between Hakeem Hart. Uh, T.J. Bamba and then Tyler Burton like those guys really bo- Justin Moore uh, Mark Armstrong's a good defender like they really bother UConn they were like starting their sets like really deep up in the court it just felt like it felt like almost like watching like the Baz and Bo era of like all right like we're just gonna pass the ball around and then just kind of hope hope one of us gets a shot here and and, and kind of go off that in some really good team defense uh now we have a seven foot two guy in the middle, and then that's where the comparisons will stop. But I was I was nervous as shit during that game because I think Villanova did kind of show ways to beat UConn because they you know if there is one knock on this UConn backcourt is that like they don't really have like dudes that can break you down off the dribble. Um, they have three fifteen point scorers, which we'll get into later. But like someone that like when they're switching everything, just like are, and they're all up on you and you know they're too physical to really make a cut you just go buy them and then just take what the defense gives you uh Yukon doesn't really have that outside of Hassan Diaro so i i was nervous as shit during that game and when they won it was like a whew, like all right exhale that's great they won but like it did it, it wasn't like a comfortable aesthetically pleasing game to me
1: yeah and i i think amon i i was I get what you're saying, Patrick. And I was thinking about what Aman was saying too, and we talked about this, but I think it's really just the way that Hurley handled that game. I think three years ago, um, Hurley's going nuts and calling a timeout and snapping clipboards and, you know, doing everything he can in the huddle, screaming at guys in the huddle, but he just felt calmer. And I feel like maybe that's why I'm thinking about it that way. Like there was no reactionary timeouts to try and like stop the Mm -hmm. bleeding. Um, and Tristan Newton was just in total control and I and I think that's one of it too like he had 25 points only shot three for nine from three but he had six six rebounds three assists um you can just kind of tell when he gets going like early on he'll take a few shots early in the game and if they start falling uh, and it's a big game he kind of locks in does that. Like puts that extra ounce of effort in.
2: I saw and... him. He he was like pissed about a call or no or or something like that. Like something got him engaged. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the type of guy that like
1: I'm very laid back. So like when I'm pissed off.
0: He wasn't getting the ball on a free throw. Like he was like, give me the ball.
1: He has those games when I feel like when the games really matter, like Kansas, Creighton, Villanova, um, he can just go into that extra gear and um I I just feel like the offense is in good hands. They don't need to do too much when Tristan Newton can get by. Um, The Villanova defense was really strong, but he was able to get into the paint at least and and get shots up. Um, He was settling for some deep threes, but I feel like, you know, going forward when there's guys, you know, when teams are switching UConn one through five like that, or one through four and forcing them to start farther out. I would like to see Newton and and Steph Castle take those, take their defenders off the dribble one-on-one a little, uh kevin ollie iso ball uh offense with you know there's a time and place for it but um you know steph castle can do that I, I'm, yeah, I'm very confident that he can do that tristan 100%. newton can do that
2: it, um, it it looked like they were like so robotically driven into their sets and counter sets yeah. that like when they weren't look I and mean, when they weren't working it was just like oh uh, now what are you doing it's like no come on go go like play basketball like free flow a little yeah. bit i think that i think that's Easier to see on a television as opposed to live. So I think that's why I think my nerves were a little bit ratcheted up. And and everything you say about Hurley is correct too, with like, he, you know, and I mentioned how he, I saw him at the Butler game. He just walks with so much swagger now. You know, that national championship validated so much, I think, with him internally that like, there's not a lot of stuff that will phase him. So like a Villanova team making a run, that's the least of his worries now, where I think before it was just like, Oh God! If I blow this, I'm gonna look like an idiot. I really better get these guys in a high gear. As now as he's like, you know, cool and calm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I said, uh, you know, that it's the kind of game that they would have lost a few years ago. That that is kind of what I, you know, or even last year. Think about the Seton Hall game on the road last year, where they were ahead most of the way and then and then lost it at the very end. I mean, this game was tied with three minutes fifty seconds left, and UConn like you said, should have felt really, really strong about having those two runs and not winning, but they gave up similar runs of their own, basically. Uh, and, you know, again, credit to Villanova for, for all of that. But, yeah, I, I agree that both Newton and Castle, I think, are the type of player who can make an individual play as needed. Uh, those two have been key to UConn getting to the line, which they've been doing a much better job of lately. The last two games, uh, so UConn on the season has been a really good shooting team. I think they're top 15 in, in EFG. Um, and But they have not been shooting well these last two games. What has been getting them through is having a much higher free throw rate uh, than before, uh, th- and then, then, the, then they had been having across the rest of the season. And Newton and Castle have really been the leaders of that. For them, Newton has... I think like 111 uh, free throws on the season. We had that in the fast break newsletter. Uh, he's he's like by far the leader uh, in free throws on the team. So I think it's something where it's just like, yeah, they're not uh, they're not trying to be as dependent on it, on that uh, hero ball. But I think it's certainly within the arsenals of, of Castle and Newton.
1: Yeah, there's certainly a time and place. And I feel like um, just in terms of one-on-one trying to get a bucket or trying to get fouled, I feel like, just from the, you know, what I've observed, I feel like Kim Spencer's pretty solid at that too, but the book is kind of out on him. He's like an elite, elite foul shooter where guys are just going to let him shoot uh, if he goes with this, you know, old man game pump fake or or something like that. But um, he's he's definitely someone to watch too. He's he's kind of a cheat code to have out, out there at the end of the game. I just looked at the box score. Him and Newton went 13 for 14 from the stripe in the Villanova game, so really really hard to lose games when two of your best players are you know just not missing free throws and i think that goes a long way
2: and we, we got to give Haas some flowers here too uh he's the only one with his like you know head down speed to to get to the paint and you know last year if he did that everyone's saying oh god what's what's gonna happen And this year, he's either going to kick or he's I mean, he's he's so composed when he's in the paint now with either euro steps or pump fakes or something like that. Uh, I feel very And he was out there for a good chunk of that end of game session against Villanova. And I feel very comfortable with him out there as a dude of like if they're up on you, if they're up in your chest, just go right by him. Uh, I don't know his free throw right off the top of my head, but it's not something anemic where if he gets fouled on a couple of that, like we can play the long game with him. Out there on the court. And I think that's again another weapon that was a question in the offseason of like what can Hassan Diara in your backup point guard spot bring you? Well, there you go. We got it.
0: Yeah, of course. He's he's been amazing.
2: And also, oh. I apologize for saying we. I hate when people do that, but ugh.
0: It's okay. It's okay. It's it slips out. We're we're speaking in uh royal terms here. You meant you meant that, not not the fan, the fandom we. Um but yeah, I mean Diarra, it's it's really been a, a consistent thread all season, uh, and as we discussed, a key for UConn when it was down certain players uh, across the season. But he's been a, a huge key to their success. Um, you did not say this, Patrick, but I did want to bring something up around that that has been kind of starting to bother me around the the discourse here with UConn. Obviously, like UConn's having a really really good season uh they are poised to make another run in big east ncaa tournament all that really great stuff Um, uh, you know hard to think if if things go the way we think they go and that statistically they they should uh it's going to be one of the best two-year stretches and really in program history um i just think it's time to stop saying that like oh that guy's underappreciated that guy's everyone is getting properly appreciated. We, we and the discourse and the universe and the extended universe are all appreciating everyone appropriately. You can't, Alex Caravan is one of the most loved UConn players of all time. He's not underappreciated. Maybe he doesn't get like national, national, national love as like one of the best players in the country. But I think he's, he's on the way to that. And by the end of the season, that absolutely can be the case. And people who watch college basketball every day absolutely do say great things about Caravan and And UConn with him and led by him. It's it's
2: a, it's a wide, wide world of college sports. There's a lot of good players. Like, please, for the love of God, turn on another game, turn on an SEC game. Like I'm not saying that UConn isn't good or that UConn's not head and shoulders above a lot of these teams, because if you look on our, um round table that we just did. I i did say that as you know, tongue in cheek, but also true. But like guys, people have to cover a lot of people. Don't be so offended if it's like, oh, you didn't mention caravan in this, you know, blah blah blah. In I an think engagement we're engagement
0: tweet, right? Like in a in a in some engagement. Yeah, tweet. an it's aggregator
2: a, being like, oh, you know, he, look at this play. This is the best guard in the Big small East. fall
0: forwards in the game. Yeah, like who gives a shit? Didn't now care?
2: I will I will I like to back down some of like the higher up people that will, that, you know, that didn't, that left these guys off the list on preseason. um. But like right
0: now it's like, yeah, there's a lot of good
2: people out there. Like they're, they're up there. They're, they're among the elite, but they're not like the best at every position.
0: And, and even on UConn's team, the whole, like one of the main points of this roster construction is that many different guys can beat you right now. There's three guys, right near each other at all at around 15 points of the leading score. Tristan Newton, Cam Spencer, Alex Caravan, tons of ink spilled about how good, how great those guys are, how great they're doing. And then this team also has Donovan Klingon and Steph Castle, two guys who are going to be in the NBA, most likely this time next year.
2: Well, of not according to one mock draft.
0: Well, we should, you know, it's, it's January. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, um, The, you know, there's, there's all sorts of people. They all are talked about, you know, like if you want to be like, okay, Apostolos romoglu, that is a guy who is not getting talked about enough. If you want to drop that take, you know, like you are free. That, that lane is free. Otherwise everyone else is talked about, you know, quite a bit. I think Uh, Samson Johnson, same thing. Preseason X factor guy who's did well and is doing well luxury to have off the bench thrives against you know like he's all, all of it is talked about uh at a pretty appropriate amount i'm just so confused at this like so and so the best player on the team so and so the leading rebounder on the team is an underappreciated guy
1: yeah no I, aman you taught me you know years ago a very wise rule uh and i think it's more important now than ever that twitter is not real life you know and I, I think some of that is just an echo chamber. And um I, I do feel like all of these guys that are standing out for, for UConn this year are really getting credit. Speaking of Twitter, I know John Fanta did like, I think he did like a two or three minute long video talking about Hassan Diar. Like he's not doing that for other other programs uh, and other teams for guys that are coming off the bench. And there's a lot of other things too. Like UConn is playing a lot of these games on Fox, FS1, national networks. A lot of people get them like. The exposure to UConn is, is very good.
0: Gosh, do, um, we,
2: do we remember we would have to go on CS, CBS Network to watch games in, in the AAC? Like, let's not forget where we were five years horrific ago. Stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah, watching games right after a a bowling, uh, you know, match and with commercials for uh tackle and bait companies and like, uh what's it called? Those like doomsday prepper boxes and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's uh, we, we like this way better. And, and yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think I think the national outlets are doing, you know, they're doing a horrific job covering sports and the sporting world in general. But as it relates to like identifying who is doing a good job, I think they're 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 pretty solid around that piece of it.
2: Well, and I think it's also like you're the number one team in the country like you 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 can't you have to abandon the like nobody believes in us okay. narrative by now, and like, oh like you know we don't get enough credit. like no, you're the number one team in the country. you just won a national championship last year. fast you know, read, soak up every little thing you can, and don't then after be like, well, no, we need more. Because then you just come come across as entitled and what did I coolly say? Spoiled and arrogant or whatever. Yeah. Like I'll
0: tell, I'll tell you who is giving the people more. And that's us here at the fast break. We have a podcast. We just launched a video pregame show uh, that's been doing quite well. I think uh, the critics are loving it. They're saying, uh, give us more of the pregame show. And we're working on it. I promise we're working on it um, more to come there. Um Another, another actually, thing I wanted to talk about is, um, and Matt, again, I think this is maybe mostly uh, you and I conversation, but we were both at the game in Philadelphia. Um, I know that we have started saying, like, you know, UConn owns New York City, and, you know, New York City is basically a home game. I, I think we can start saying that, like, the Wells Fargo Center, that that's a neutral court, basically. Uh, like you know, if UConn had a good play, UConn had like an out of bounds called in UConn's direction. You heard a you heard a dull roar from the crowd as if it was a home game. Uh, so I have to give it to the fans. We we kind of let them have it a little bit after the Georgetown game, uh, deservedly so. Uh, there still is some uh, you know donor class mentality uh, maybe affecting the environment around games. However, I I I was quite impressed with the show out in Philly. And I think it's time to, again, start start calling Wells Fargo Center a neutral court potential. The UConn's won two in a row there.
1: Yeah, I, I think the crowd was pretty good. I think, you know, whoever was in charge, if, if they're able to screen that information, I feel like the UConn fans were really spread out. So it was hard. Like, it was never, like, one area, like... Um,
0: and the same colors, too. So.
1: Right, right. But, no, I mean, I feel like when you're the number one team in the country... The, the fans the the diehards are always going to travel. And then there's other people that are like, yeah, you know what? Hey, it's a hundred bucks to take the train down to Philly, go get a cheesesteak or go to, you know, go get something for lunch and then go to the game and stay over and come back home. It, it, it's an easy trip. Uh, you know, it's kind of the beauty of the big East, right? Is that a lot of these games are accessible. It's not like the AAC. Um, and I think that makes it easier, but yeah, the travel has just been really impressive. Um, the turnout at the Kansas game was nuts. Um, Like just absolutely insane. Um, And that was something that I thought myself while I was there and that Kansas, you know, people that I talked to that go to Kansas games regularly said that the turnout was really good. So um, no, I mean, it's cool to see that fans are willing to travel and support. And I think it does matter. I think it takes away some of the, the home court advantage that other teams have. And I think it just makes it more interesting too. It makes it a little more tense in the arena. I know, I saw a few UConn fans and Nova fans going at it for a little bit and kind of, kind of makes it interesting. That's what the big East is all about. You know, it makes it fun. All- Rivalries make it fun.
0: That, that is literally what it's all about. Getting in fights with strangers uh, who went to a different school uh, is truly, I, I'm not being sarcastic at all. That is what it's all about.
2: Are they talking good shit or are they just like saying dumb stuff or just like, what, what are you like? I can't.
0: Well, uh, you know, as I, you know, um, everyone goes to games, every kind of, man is going to games. <laughs> so uh, I think I think you see all of it. you see good interactions, you see bad interactions and uh, it's all part of the the great tapestry of of college basketball and the rivalries I think and I just want to add since uh, no one else has anything to say but just Philly, what a destination right we We talk about it a lot. I'm a little bit biased. I've been spending a lot of time there lately, but uh, Really the gem of the Northeast, in my opinion. Uh, uh, all of the good things that people say about Boston, except actually true. Oh, uh, uh, brother. A, a nice place to nice place to spend some time, the Philadelphia.
1: I can't speak enough good things about Philadelphia. Um, fortunate to to have a few people that live in the area and I like to get down there as much as I can. I think it's awesome. Uh I would like to do a little Amon, maybe you and I could collab a little uconn travel travel guide to philly for for next year's nova game because absolutely i went down i made a weekend out of it i had the best time i had so much fun there's so many things to do you could be down there for a week two weeks and, and not eat at all the great restaurants all the all the attractions and stuff so very cool spot 10 out of 10 would recommend
0: great thanks,
2: Where, is it is this all downtown I feel like well i'm assuming yeah wells fargo is downtown and
0: so so wells there's like a sports complex at the bottom end of the city shout out to
1: xfinity live
0: but yeah, they have a, they have a, you know, like a bar set up Xfinity live. It's like, it, it has like a PBR and a, uh, and like full, you know, three other like generic bar type things, but it's right outside. And then the football stadium is there. Wells Fargo is there. Um,
1: baseball then, stadium.
0: Oh, baseball stadium. I forgot. I forgot about baseball. Stadium. I knew you'd forget that one. Yeah, I had yeah. to,
1: had to chime in there.
0: Uh, yeah. So all, all three of them are like in the same area. It's at the very bottom of the city. So that part is a little bit, you know, like it's not in the city. You have to then get a ride back into the city or take the train, which lots of people do. It's not, it's not a bad ride on the subway from there into this into the city. Um, But you know, the, the areas of interest, I mean, just the, the, the food, the food situation, I, one cannot speak enough, you know, the cheesesteak, that's like, what? that's, that's my preference. But you know, I, I think, uh, the cheesesteak is like just scratching the surface of what they have and what they do well food-wise. Uh, and having lived in D.C., having spent a lot of time in New York City, like it can be tough to find like regular person places to eat sometimes in these places that have become overrun by, by real estate overlords, venture-backed real estate overlords who only want sweet green and orange theory to be in neighborhoods, uh, that you just don't get like good takeaway, you know, like eateries of all different kinds. And uh, Philly just has that in spades. It has a little Saigon that's amazing. It has a uh, Mexican enclave, uh, Mexican food enclave that's amazing. And, um, you know, obviously the Italian food people seem to really like. That's not really my bag. Generally, you can find that everywhere. I got a lot of that in Connecticut, you know. Um, But yeah, they, they just do a lot of stuff really well. And then it's kind of just like a place for for more normal people uh, compared to some of the other cities in the Northeast. Normal One last
1: side. thing. It, it, it's also very affordable I, I, compared to yeah. the other major cities. You're not paying Boston, New York uh, prices, DC prices, even, even DC is not that bad, but um, very affordable, very easy to get around. If you want to, if you're part of the, you know, Uber everywhere life, you can do that pretty affordably. There's transportation other ways as well. Um, it, it's a fun city
0: we cannot endorse yeah we'll, we'll we'll do a more formal endorsement later with the mayor uh yeah i i feel like i feel like there's
2: a fight. deeper discussion to be had about road big east uh cities here mm-hmm. uh and i i would absolutely love for you all to come to cincinnati not that i'm championing them or trumpeting them at all cuz cause, cause honestly like i want to see your opinion because i have everyone that comes here loves it hmm. but like i think when you live here I find myself getting sick of it like every other day but like
0: sounds like like Cleveland and 30 Rock
2: yes I I don't know the specifics of that bit but it's it's essentially the same thing of like when you when you have it every day like oh give me the hell out of here but like as you visit for a weekend I've had people say like wow like you don't realize what you have so it makes you think
0: interesting yeah i mean when you first said other biggie cities i was thinking it like i was like huh newark uh providence some very skippable places in my that i would consider but cincinnati you know you could convince me uh i've been to indianapolis before uh not for a butler game but uh for the 2016 uh, women's final four uh no, no big no big deal um but indianapolis was was fine i'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna be like cool place. Definitely go there. Definitely go to the. But um, uh, let's see, Omaha, Nebraska. No, thank you. No, uh, thank you. Yeah, Mark,
2: uh, I'm excited to see Milwaukee though potentially. Yeah. Um, very, very much looking forward to that. Have heard yeah, nothing Milwaukee but nothing good. but good things. Uh, even in February, um, mm-hmm. and I've never been to Chicago, so. And you know, who knows? And maybe in three years we have a DePaul Wagon on our hands, uh, with Bobby Hurley as the uh
0: coach. Oh, that'd be so good. Bobby Hurley or Kevin Ollie. Those are my those are my like top two candidates for DePaul. Please, please do it. Make it fun, make it happen. Or should we or, talk about DePaul? Or Kamani Young. Kamani like, yeah. or, or, or Young. Yes, let's talk about DePaul. No to Kamani Young.
1: I want I think, Kamani Young at the Paul as well. Take, Patrick
0: he wouldn't take that job. He will. He won't take that job. He can get a better job.
1: But I want. I want him to do well, and like that would be such a fun, friendly,
0: friendly rivalry. Nah, do I well think. in a different conference. So, no, 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 not in my opinion.
1: I mean, the rumor with Kamani is Fairfield, right? That's kind of like what's floating around. I thought it was at this. I thought Luke was Fairfield. Oh, it it could be too. But... He's a, he's an alum.
0: Luke is yeah. a Fairfield County guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like Fairfield could be a a better landing spot right now than DePaul, honestly. Like, DePaul, like, the rumors are that they're going to pony up the money. (laughs) Like, did you see that when they fired Fairfield's arena is nice. Yeah, yeah. And DePaul was like, oh, they're ponying up the money. Like, they're going to get a big fish. Like, they're going to, you know, they didn't drop the bag for Stubblefield. Like, they're going to do that this time. And then somebody, I saw another tweet, someone reporting saying, like, Yeah, none of that happened yet. Like, none of this is approved. Like, someone said that, but no no one has actually signed off and said we're actually going to pony up the money. So it's hard to go somewhere where there's no institutional support, even if you're in a hotbed like Chicago. And um, it it is probably better for whether it's Luke Murray or Kamani Young, um, whenever that happens, to go to Fairfield or one of those other, like, on-the-rise mid-majors, make an NCAA tournament be a spoiler in in the tournament have a few upsets during the season and then move on to a a bigger job that's actually going to pay and is actually committed but i want to paul to be good desperately i i feel like they should just be a good basketball program they were once a really good basketball program a billion years ago um it would just be really cool if they were good again and i just really don't think it's ever going to happen uh at at, at this point unless they hire dave Leto again
2: Ooh, i think it's something that like again not an expert on DePaul basketball at all, but it's something. If they catch a little bit of momentum, it's something that can build and snowball into something. Where like they just need to get like one or two recruiting classes, nail the coaching hire, and it could jump start into something. Because like you said, it's it's Chicago hoops. Like that's such such an institution. Uh, regardless of money, I think like, yes, you do need money to kind of get your your foot in the door. Well, then after that, I think there's going to be so much momentum and so much buzz behind the program. Yeah, it's going to be a sleeping giant, but we'll see. Who knows? i, I got
0: to say something that that has been an, a, a bubbling observation of mine. You know, this idea that, like, a team should be good because of the city it's near, I think that's just maybe starting to become an outdated concept. Uh, all of those teams we talk about, like, that used to be good, uh, like St. John's uh, or uh Boston College they you know they all fell. that Boston College I'm not actually counting in there but you know they all they all have fallen off think about like DC great hoop city their college programs suck Philadelphia Villanova is 30 miles outside of Philadelphia does not count not a city school New York City not a single good actual school in New York City uh at basketball
2: oh Fordham Fordham catching a drive by right there
0: Yeah. So with all due respect to Fordham and then, yeah, I mean, Chicago, same thing, right? Like there's no Northwestern has never been like, oh man, we're a, we're a sleeping giant in basketball. Obviously they don't care about sports or take anything seriously besides hazing, but uh, Northwestern can't be, can't get good. DePaul not been good for such a long time. Uh, So I think this idea of like these old, you know, these old school city schools having some sort of advantage, they don't have that recruiting advantage anymore. We've got Huddle, we've got YouTube, we've got courtside films, we got all this stuff. There's no, uh, you know, these guys get out, they get recruited by Michigan, they get recruited by uh, all sorts of bag dropping entities that, uh, you know, they end up they end up elsewhere. The idea of staying home, first of all, is not always that attractive to people uh, for a variety of reasons. And then, yeah, I just don't, you know, like I don't, I don't know if I see the path for that like city thing to work out because I just don't know anyone that it's working out for in that way.
2: That's a theory that needs like a, that, that theory needs like a PhD behind it to put some, mm. you know, socioeconomic talent behind that and, and really dig into the, into the numbers there.
0: We'll get our investigative arm on that. We'll get our uh, best people on it. As yeah. As, as well. My
1: quick pushback would be UConn, not necessarily getting Connecticut guys, but Adamasinogo. New Jersey guy, Seton that's, Hall commit, just flipped. Such a great like, point to make
2: on the 20th anniversary of Ryan Gomes.
0: <laughs> They're not bad. I got, I got a Mecca. <laughs> he's, he's 100% right. Everything about that is 100% right. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, man. What are you, you saying?
1: I think, I think you're probably right, Amon, especially with the NIL era. I just feel like that, like, zone where you can recruit out of has expanded and i think it still matters like regionally but like you're right 20 years ago jordan hawkins is going to georgetown he's not going to yukon like there's like you know there's no way that he would go to yukon in in georgetown's backyard but um i still think like de problem is they're also like dead last in nil spending money as well that you know they just don't want to pony up their sources um if they can put big east level resources behind the chicago recruiting base i feel like there's a lot of guys at at mid majors or or low you know like low tier power five programs power six programs where they can get guys from chicago you know chicagoland area their last year uh load up in the transfer portal for one year and try and like kickstart that momentum um but yeah i mean it's a fair point like i don't know there's not necessarily like major basketball hotbeds that one school is just recruiting out of and, you know, kind of capitalizing and on. I so
0: mostly just wanted to throw some arrows at Georgetown. And well, yeah. It, come it's come a great on. take.
1: And, it's
2: an awesome take. No, that is a great take. Also, it depends on who's leading the program because if you put a, a, like a coach who is, you know, I, I remember hearing the story when like Calhoun got to, you know, took over at UConn, he would go to like every summer league park, in the state of Connecticut ever like he showed up in, in fucking Wolf Park to watch like a, a bunch of guys play back when like summer leagues were like a blacktop hardcore, you know, uh outdoor thing. You um, know, so like he put the work in to like really establish his backyard there. If you have someone like that, that's like going to every high level or even low level event and is like basically canvassing the entire area and locking down. Like, yeah, if you put someone like a – if you hire the right guy, which is why I'm, like, fascinated to see, like, there are good coaches out there that DePaul could take that they could jumpstart that, and I'd be very interested to see, like, what happens in, like, a five-year plan with that because, you know, I know you like to to dunk on and on Georgetown, but, like, they've got pieces. They've already got more wins than they had last year, and you – I'm not sure what their recruiting situation is, but like it, it, they're gonna be better. Like they're gonna be back to where they were 20 years ago. Um, So yeah, I mean it's it really kind of depends on who you hire. And I know that's you know heresy to say like you know Ed Cooley was the right hire, but like yeah, I think he was.
0: Yeah, we're not we're not uh, we're not going going after the Ed Cooley hire here. We're just you know commenting on two decades of Georgetown basketball uh, irrelevance. Um, But yeah, I think to Paul obviously they could be better even if they don't ever become world beating uh or big east winning uh, ever again uh they they still could be a lot better than they are they could still be a a middling xavier butler-esque type of operation and that would not even take away anything from anyone uh and totally is is viable and and feasible for them again i think we actually discussed in the in the preseason some potential candidates for them because we thought stubblefield might mm-hmm. be uh, a little bit that was
2: uh that was sean i think that nailed that
0: on the block yeah um,
2: uh, one question for you guys and, and, and if you want to abstain that's fine uh if you were to assume that like pro rel was a thing in, in in college basketball and you and in DePaul was booted out who would you all want in
0: i can go first just because something came to my mind and i'm and actually it segues into something else but uh, I'd go VCU, uh, good hoops program, rabid fan base, large alumni, good location, close enough, uh, and, uh, state school. So, you know, that's, a that's a group that's on our side a little bit more. They're a crazy fan base. You know, like I, I think they are, a one of the underrated crazy fan bases, um, and also, just because I I was actually going to say earlier, I think Will Wade would would be a really funny hire uh, and all, and good successful hire for DePaul. Oh, um, I don't know if the Big East is, I don't know if the Big East is like that, and and if if the, if it could work for him. They but just I
2: hired Rick Pitino.
0: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, Will Wade. We are we are rooting for the Will Wade era to begin in earnest in DePaul. Um, that is really my my first choice. And then yeah, I I would say VCU. Honestly, I don't I don't think about it much. I'm super happy with the Big East as it is. I don't know what its real impetus would be to expand um, beyond getting into some sort of like football type agreement with the ACC for UConn and for that to make like something like that work. I don't even want to open that can exactly, but um, but yeah, I'd go VCU. I know there's some haters uh, on that, but. I, I like what they bring to the table.
1: So selfishly, I would like to pull the Big East back towards the actual East and not like have the center of the conference be in Ohio, uh, where, where it basically is now. Um, if there was no like logic behind it, I would probably choose like a UMass or like a Temple. Um, but those are just pretty bad programs and realistically like it has to be in my opinion one of vcu which amon mentioned or dayton or st louis i would personally go with dayton i just feel like it's the same thing it's an insane fan base they just love basketball
2: absolutely Um,
1: they're always a strong program and i feel like they're just like a a culture fit um for the conference so i that would be my pick i i would love to do dayton but it is frustrating that as a conference that used to be so like you know East Coast elite, for lack of a better term, like this is this is a Midwest conference now that also has UConn in it, and that's fine. Um, but it's it's hard to it's still hard sometimes to think about like yeah we're going to Omaha, Nebraska for a conference game to to play Creighton in front of twenty thousand people. Um, so just different, but it's a great conference. I I really wouldn't change a thing either if Thank if I you. didn't have to.
2: Thank God both Marquette and Creighton have like really good programs because imagine like going out to those places and playing a DePaul level team. Like, good God, that would just be such a drag. Like that would be just another version of the AAC. Um, but no, my pick is also Dayton. Uh trying to remove like Midwest bias from this, uh have been to a bunch of Dayton games. It, it they they really do take that shit so seriously. It would be a direct rival to Xavier even though Xavier wouldn't allow it because they have an inferiority complex um i think that that would be the school that makes that a basketball conference but again like you said it's it's all just just a fun little debate at this point but yeah would love to see Dayton get a look
0: i'm glad nobody said gonzaga i was i was bracing i thought one of i thought oh, both god them no fuck no yeah no. I, honestly i can't think of anything that would make me sicker Uh, than to be in a conference with Gonzaga and then have to uh, be involved in that fraud, scam of an operation, uh, to be completely honest. Um, Yeah, I I honestly, I I like Temple a little bit. I think it'd be funny to think about like, you know, to do like a, what was that? What was that movie? To do like a, you know, like a Princess Diaries or a Can't Find Me Love and try and like rehabilitate a program, you know, like at at a Vermont and just be like, you know what? Vermont's gonna join the Big East and get good. How do you like them apples? Uh, something like that. I think UMass. that's be a, a fun, interesting. So yeah, UMass.
1: Vermont is like legit good. Vermont is probably a better answer than UMass, honestly. Yeah. They're like kind of a mid major.
0: I I mean I powerhouse. love I love Burlington. I love having uh hockey East with the University of Vermont. We like the culture fit. I think with the University of Vermont. What about like um, a
2: like a Hofstra?
0: Mm. no
2: ooh,
0: sorry ooh, private (laughs) university on long island come on come on we're trying to enjoy ourselves here i think honestly umass you know i will say i i think that there's some merit to that but i think that's where you say if in if in 10 years the world becomes a different place and you know the worst possible things happen we would be like why the heck would you let the school 40 miles away from you Uh, drink from the pond when when right now they are uh, withering on the vine I I think they might be a little too close but you know yeah maybe maybe Vermont oh we're
2: we're forgetting an obvious answer here (laughs) you are I Bryant imagine imagine that coach best friend (laughs) (laughs) Martelli Jr. just getting telling him like hey congratulations you now have to play UConn twice a year for the rest of your tenure
0: so I don't think it's going to be Brian. But yeah, I mean, you know, any anything that uh, anything that I like the um, geographic center point, I do want to really address that. And then I personally would really like to address the, uh, you know, state school and religious school kind of gap. So if we're adding, you know, I'd like to add more on the state school side, um, because as I gain more exposure to these. People from random private schools in exurbs of major cities, mostly. I find them to be mostly detestable people, to be completely honest. Um, Villanova fans in particular, I just can't get behind at all in the slightest.
2: Oh God, Xavier.
0: Uh, Xavier, Providence College. If you went to one of those places, you have no soul. You will not see heaven. And, um, you know, obviously Georgetown, some of the worst people on earth. Uh, some you know, just an absolute magnet for some of the worst human beings on planet Earth. Uh, nineteen-year-olds who are obsessed with polling data. Uh, a, you know, absolute menaces that should not be in polite society, in my opinion. What about
1: Florida? Yeah,
2: would love it.
0: I, you know, I would not fight it, but you know, again, let's let's think about culture here. You know, let's think about culture a little bit. Yeah, uh, maybe the A10 Atlantic. is a fun conference, man. Maybe Central I'm just Atlantic. looking through now. Fairfield.
2: I saw one that was interesting. That was uh, what about Charlotte?
0: Come on, man. So that's you've been you've been reading too many Darren Rovell tweets. If you want to say, uh,
1: please. What about you. Richmond? Would love yeah. it. Richmond's I'm on fire.
0: It. Richmond's a good program. Yeah, Would rich- love it.
1: I'll take group. I'll take anyone from the A10. Honestly, yeah, the A10 is. Really? I gotta start locking in on some A10 yeah. basketball. I'm looking oh. through all the the teams right now, and it. it Looks like a great time, Davidson. Yeah.
0: Again, I'm, oh. I think I think Davidson probably has more in common. A Davidson graduate probably has more in common with a Xavier graduate. Uh, uh. uh.
2: No, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on that. They're yeah. they're a little better. They're 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 not as uh I don't want to say that, but uh they're not as Fine. entitlement inclined. I'll I'll say that.
0: Well. We shall see. Uh, We'll see if the Big East makes any expansion. Uh, We'll get Val Ackerman maybe on the next podcast to discuss potential candidates now that we've covered that. Um, What do you guys want to do with UConn football? Just kidding. That is the end of our podcast. Thank you all for listening.